Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. We've had many conversations on various approaches to get well and health and what we do to be healthy. And one important topic, even though we've addressed it before, is toxins. I feel people don't have an appreciation for how important this topic is. For example, have you heard of Mad Hatter's disease? Well, that's caused by mercury. Do you know one one of the contributing factors to the decline of the Roman Empire? Well, that supposedly lead was a contributor to that. So the role of toxins in our health is huge. Did you know in 2010 there were 80,000 chemicals on the market? And one person found in a study that there are 200 chemicals in a baby before it's born. And only a few of these chemicals are tested for safety. Each year, there's 6.5 billion pounds of chemicals dumped into our air. Do you think this has an effect on our health? I think our government will say, well, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a little bit of this won't hurt us. But what we need to look at is these are synergistic. They might operate by different methods, but they add to each other. And this is a serious impact on our health, folks. So today, we have an expert, a leading authority on this topic, Dr. Joseph Pizzarno. And he will help us uh, go through this topic. He also has an excellent book, uh, The Toxic Solution, that helps you learn about these as well as a, a roadmap to help you negotiate this. So a little introduction. Dr. Joseph Pizzono is a naturopath and a world-leading authority on science-based natural medicine. This is a term he coined, coined when he found Bester University in 1978. He's a naturopathic physician educator, research, and expert spokesman. He's the editor-in-chief of PubMed Indexed IMCJ. He's the treasurer of the board of the Institute for Functional Medicine. He's a board member of the American Herbal Pharmacopeia and a member of the science boards of the Heck Foundation, Gateway for Cancer Research, and Bioclinical Naturals. He's licensed in Washington and a recipient of numerous awards and honors, such as the Institute for Functional Medicine's Linus Pauling Award, the AHMA's Holistic Medicine Pioneer, and the AANP Naturopathic Physician of the Year. He was appointed by Presidents Clinton and Bush to two prestigious commissions advising the government on how to integrate natural medicine into the healthcare system, and is a co-author of five textbooks, including the textbook of natural medicine, clinical environmental medicine, and seven consumer books. He's an intellectual and academic leader in medicine for four years. So welcome, Dr. Brizono. It's such an honor to have you on our show. Well, thanks for the kind introduction. I'm delighted to be joining you today. Well, first, for our audience, can you tell us what natura- naturopathy is? Well, if I, thanks for that question. So I, I describe us as um, physicians of natural medicine, and what makes us different is that rather than focusing on the disease, we prefer to focus on the person. You know, why is that person sick? 
And while the disease is important to know, we're much more interested in understanding why did that person get sick? Do they have a nutritional deficiency? Are they being exposed to some kind of toxins? Or do they have a genetic susceptibility? So we look at the whys and the causes and aren't as committed to relieving symptoms, which it seems so much of modern medicine is focused on these days, on drugs that relieve symptoms, but don't deal with the reasons why people are sick. So it sounds a lot like functional medicine where they're looking (laughs) under the hood and they're trying to find out what's causing this and where in this pathway are you and looking at the causes rather than putting a Band-Aid on the symptoms. Is that correct? Absolutely. So as you may know, I'm... I was on the founding board of, of directors for the Institute for Functional Medicine, so I've been involved in helping develop those ideas for a very long period of time. Yes, we've had many speakers discuss functional medicine. It's a common theme, which I want to make the public familiar with. So to the topic of toxins, where are they found, and why do they cause disease? Yeah, and that's the key question, and unfortunately, they're found everywhere. They're in the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat. Uh, the health and beauty aids we put on our skin, the chemicals we use to in our house for cleaning, the chemicals we use in our yard for growing our plants or killing weeds or things of this nature, um, they're everywhere. And you know, as, you know, as we evolved as a species, of course, we were exposed to toxins, but what's happened now is the toxin exposure is not only much higher, but we're also now being exposed to chemical toxins that are uh, man-made, and I'll be perfectly correct and say men and women-made, because I want to blame the women as much as the men. <laughs> we, we, we've created these new-to-nature molecules that were designed to be difficult to break down by biological systems. So what happens to these things is, <clears throat> while they do, they have effects that we want, like pesticides to kill insects or plasticizers to give us the wonders of modern civilization, they were also design a way that once they get into our bodies, we can't break them down. And because they're so difficult to break down, they chronically cause damage in our body. A classic example of that is a toxin everybody knows about, DDT. So DDT is what's called a chlorinated hydrocarbon, and it was developed as a pesticide. And it was a very good pesticide. But the problem is the half-life of breaking it down in our bodies is between 3 and 10 years. So once it gets into our bodies... It causes continually oxidative stress, particularly to the neurological system. So if we if we're just being exposed to one toxin, well, that wouldn't be too bad. But the problem is we're exposed now to about 100 toxins that are in the environment at high enough levels that they affect human physiology. So it's not just DDT. It's also arsenic. It's also PCBs. It's also uh, bisphenols. It's also the um, perfluorinated hydrocarbons. There are all these chemicals and all these metals that together add up to a damage, which is more than just one alone, and it's more than one or two alone, but it's a a factor where when you have more and more toxins, it becomes not just additive, but um, greater than additive and multiplicative. Yes, I understand that there's a synergy involved that they might be totally two different mechanisms. For example, organochlorine pesticide poison uh, poisons the insulin receptor, so it worsens the metabolic syndrome. But yet arsenic will impair the ability of the pancreas to secrete insulin. So you get these two together, which I think can commonly be found in our soil and some of our food, 
that is a double whammy beyond anything which the scientists can say we need to be worried about, correct? Exactly. That's exactly correct. Uh, and one of the problems with so much of the research in this area is the scientists tend to look at these compounds as isolated compounds and look at what their toxicity is. And then they say, okay, well, okay, it has some toxicity, but there's a threshold. As long as you're below this threshold, it's not going to cause any trouble. When you get above the threshold, then it causes trouble, and that's how the standards are set. But the problem is those are all set in isolated circumstances. But when we look at what people are being exposed to, it's not just one, it's many. And a key factor why we get much more toxicity than expected is that one of the most important ways we protect our bodies from these uh, chemical toxins as well as metal toxins is with a molecule in the body called glutathione. And the glutathione is uh, one of the most important antioxidants in the body. It's also one of the most important compounds for getting toxins out of our body. Unfortunately, we have a limited ability to produce glutathione. And every time we're exposed to a toxin, we deplete our glutathione. And the problem is, as you more and more deplete glutathione, then as new toxins come in, they become more damaging because we're less and less able to protect ourselves from them. So there's many examples uh, where not only do we deplete glutathione, but then we have many toxins that are doing the same kind of damage to the body. So one by itself may not be that big an issue, but when multiple ones are doing the same thing, now you've exceeded the body's ability to adapt, and now you have disease. Wow, because I remember lead that kept lowering the allowable amount before we needed to worry. And glyphosate, the people I talk to in Europe are laughing at us. We keep raising the allowable amount, but several times that amount in Europe. And experts I've spoken to said that glyphosate will destroy or attack our detoxification abilities. So when we get all these toxins, we're stuck. We can't even do anything to get rid of them. Yes. Yeah, that, that's the perfect example. So I was giving a lecture um, in Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago, and it was on inflammation. And what I did was I went through and looked at many of these toxins and shows that many of the damaging effects that they cause are through inflammation. And what's fascinating about these toxins is not only do they cause oxidative damage, but they actually poison the enzyme systems that are primary antioxidant defenses. So not only do they cause damage, but they also impair our ability to protect ourselves from them. So what toxins impair our ability to protect ourselves from uh, outside unwanted things? What, uh, what? So a good example, uh, the um, organic chlorine pesticides is a good example because they impair things like uh, catalase. That's important for getting rid of the you know, free radicals that are being produced during oxidative stress. Um, I can give you example after example after example. Help the listener, you know, understand a little bit more how prevalent this is. So what are some of the toxins we'll find in our household? The, the answer to that came as a huge surprise to me. Um, as I've been looking at uh, environmental toxicity, I've been looking at this now for over 40 years. I was first mostly interested in the, in the heavy metals, you know, like cadmium and, and lead and uh, mercury, because the data there is so very clear, and we've known that forever. As you mentioned, your great examples, Manhattan disease and the fall of the, of the Roman Empire, Empire were due to metals. So that was pretty clear. But as I was looking at the research, the one that came up that was the biggest surprise to me was arsenic. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, arsenic, you know you get arsenic poisoning when your spouse is trying to get rid of you. And, and indeed, that's what we all think. But it turns out that 10% of the public water supplies in the U.S. have arsenic levels that are so high that they're known to cause 
disease in humans. And unfortunately, only 50% of the water supplies in the U.S. have even been tested. Then if you start looking at arsenic levels in the body, it's typically looked at in the urine. Look at the amount of arsenic in the urine, and then start looking at studies that correlate the amount of arsenic in urine with various diseases. So there was a, a great study done in Italy where they looked at 20,000 people, followed them for 20 years, and this particular group of people came from a province in Italy where some areas had high levels of arsenic in the water supply and some areas had low levels of arsenic in the water supply, so they were able to directly compare them. And they found that people with the higher levels of arsenic had more heart disease, more diabetes, more strokes, um, just a wide range of diseases, and also more cancer, very, very strong correlation with cancer. So then they determined the threshold of, well, how much arsenic has to be in your body uh, before you start seeing disease effects, figure what that threshold is. So So I saw the threshold from the Italian study, then I looked at the arsenic levels in the U.S., and 25% of people in the U.S. have arsenic levels above the threshold showed to increase risk of things like cancer and stroke and heart disease and things of this nature. So this, I mean, this is, these are not rare problems we're looking at. We're looking at problems that are affecting the entire population. And isn't, aren't we feeding arsenic to our chickens to plump them up so they look good in the supermarket? Sad but true. Um, now, the FDA recently, you might say belatedly, finally withdrew permission for most of the arsenical compounds being used. Uh, but the problem is that uh, there's no strong enforcement mechanisms, so they continue to be used, and uh, a lot of the chicken are indeed contaminated with arsenic because the arsenic is put in there not just to plump them up, but also to treat parasites in the, in the chickens. So even if they stop adding arsenic to the, to the food supply of the chickens, well, realize that the soil and the environment that the chickens are being raised in are saturated with arsenic from, from decades and decades of giving chick, ar, arsenic to chickens. So we have arsenic in our rice, I understand. Yes. Um, for some reason, rice seems to be very good at absorbing arsenic from the, when, the, when it's in the water supply. Now, some people have asserted that the reason you see so much arsenic in, in rice is because chicken manure has been used as a fertilizer. And I think there may be some truth to that, but I don't think it's enough to explain what we're seeing. So something I'm currently trying to look into to see if I can get a clear answer there. But unfortunately, um, we've polluted so many aspects of our food supply that we've got these toxins basically everywhere. Now, let's look at lead a little bit, which has been shown to decrease our learning, memory, verbal ability, motor coordination, IQ, uh, etc. It's found in paint and 61% of lipsticks? A little crazy, isn't it? <clears throat> so I, you gave a good example of arsenic of, as, I'm sorry, of lead as an example of what we've learned over the years. <clears throat> so about 50 years ago, when we finally started realizing lead was a problem, um, the standard considered safe for lead was 60, uh, I think it was um, micrograms per deciliter of blood. Why don't we just say 60 for, for, for convenience? And that level was established by the criteria that if a person is in the bottom 95% of exposure levels, they're considered safe, and only the 5% above that are considered damaged by these chemicals. Well, when they started looking at research, they realized that people below 60 were having very clear indications of lead toxicity. So decade by decade, the number went down. It went from 60 to 40 to 30 to 20 to 10, and now the CDC is considering dropping it to 5. So the good news is that we engaged in public health measure that was very effective, and that is by taking gasoline, taking lead out of gasoline and out of paint, 
we dramatically lowered the amount of lead in the general population. But we didn't get rid of it. And because lead is persistent, you know, lead never goes away. Uh, it doesn't break down. It's, it's an element. Um, so it's, it's in the environment. Um, many of the water supplies uh, in our cities have lead in them. Uh, everybody knows about Flint, Michigan, and I don't know why Flint, Michigan got so much PR, because there are hundreds of cities with more lead in the water than in Flint, Michigan. But since many of the water supplies have lead in the pipes, anything that causes the water to become corrosive will then result in lead getting into people. So the reality is that while our exposure has decreased dramatically, we're still being exposed. And we then started looking at research. Your studies done in Seattle and, and uh, in Canada, where they looked at lead levels in adults, and then they looked at adults who had below the level of 10 that was considered uh, safe. What they found was people even in below 10, between 5 and 10, had increased heart disease, increased heart attacks, increased uh, brain cancer, etc. So it's just one of those toxins that it's just so bad for us, and it's so hard to get rid of. And it's particularly an issue when you look at people now who are getting older in their 50s and 60s. And the good news is that, well, lead uh, stopped being put into the environment as much, but their bones are saturated with it. So when people go through menopause and andropause for men, and they start breaking down their bone, they start releasing the lead and the mercury in their bone. And so a lot of the, I might say, oh, dementia and such we see in older people, much of it's because they're finally now getting rid of these toxins that have caused so much damage to them. Yes, Dale Bredesen in his talk on uh, preventing Alzheimer's and cognitive decline, which was on August 18th, mentioned that toxicity was one of the major types, subtypes of Alzheimer's. But you also mentioned in your book, Doctor, that 11% of the cities in New Jersey, as well as two counties, had higher lead levels in Flint, Michigan. And I've also understood that some, some of the areas out by San Francisco had about the same levels as Flint, Michigan as well. Right. That's alarming. It, it is. It is. And, you know, I'm, I, I appreciate that the, the folks in you know, Flint, Michigan, brought helped bring this to the public attention. That's the good news. The bad news is that it's everywhere. And, and it's not just lead. And it's not just arsenic. So, for example, when I was writing the book, one of my uh, tech people lives in Oregon and discovered to her great sur- surprise and unhappy surprise that just one block from her home was a small company that was making leaded glass. I'm sorry, was making colored glass. And to make the colored glass, they were using arsenic and cadmium and releasing it into the environment. So the whole area in Portland, all around this glass manufacturer, is saturated in the soil uh, and in the air with uh, cadmium and, and arsenic. So it's, it's like there's so many different sources of exposure, and, and then it's causing disease. So one of the projects I've been working on to try to determine what percent of each chronic disease is due to specific toxins. I talk about that quite a bit in my book, The Toxin Solution. And one of the challenges we were having was that in order to determine what percent of a disease is due to a toxin, you've got to compare the level of the disease in the people who have the highest levels of toxins and compare it to people who have none of the toxin. Well, the problem is we couldn't find any unexposed populations. Virtually every toxin is found in virtually every person. Now, that doesn't mean that every person is being damaged by every toxin, but the reality is that the vast majority of the population has more than just one toxin at high enough levels to damage their body and cause disease. 
Wow. I'd also like to add for the audience that with cadmium, it's linked to osteoporosis, heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. And when your zinc is low, the cadmium replaces the zinc in our enzymes, which are very important for making our bodies run. And that will poison our enzymes so our bodies don't run. So this is serious. Great. Excellent examples. That's exactly what we're seeing. Now, another, since we're on the topic of metals, is mercury. That each, mm-hmm. You said in your book, each filling releases one uh, microgram of mercury per day, and right. that's going to go into our brain, the fetus, breast milk. I mean, that I mean, can certainly cause cognitive decline as well as other diseases. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, since I've been doing this for a while, I've, I've got some great case histories. So if you give a typical case history, here's a woman, um, 67 years old, one of the wealthiest women in Canada uh, is losing her mind. Brain fog, memory loss, dry skin, dry hair, you know, fatigue, you know, just, just, you know, who she was is just going away. Her body's breaking down, her brain's going away. I've uh, been seeing doctors, nobody's helping her, she's getting worse and worse and worse. Comes to see me, I uh, talked to her a bit and realized, boy, it sure sounds like mercury toxicity. Check for mercury, super high mercury levels. So then we involve, we get started on a process where we stop her exposure to mercury and we get the mercury out of her body. Now, the challenging thing when treating people for toxicity is that it's a slow process. Most of us are, have grown up with conventional medicine, and with conventional medicine, we've got something like an infection. We take an antibiotic, and you know, within hours to days, you know, you're going to get clear results. When we start getting into nutritional medicine, well, you get results with nutritional medicine as well, but it takes time. And it takes weeks to months to get to work with nutritional medicine to get the kind of clinical effects we want. But with toxicity, first you've got to identify the toxin. Then you've got to stop the exposure. Then you've got to get the toxin out of the body. Then all those enzyme systems that were poisoned by the toxin, they now have to be replaced by the body. And once the enzymes are working properly, then the body can repair the damage. It takes months to even years. <clears throat> so this woman I talked about, all kinds of symptoms treated her. After six months, she, for the first time, was starting to see improvement. After a year, she started becoming confident she could become well. And after a year and a half, all her symptoms were gone. But wow. the problem is, it took us a year and a half, okay, because these toxins are so hard to get out of the body, particularly if you want to do it in a safe manner. Well, uh, is mercury found in vaccines? So supposedly the mercury has been removed from the vaccines, and that's the good news. Uh, the bad news is I don't think mercury was the problem with the vaccines. I think it's much more likely the problem was due to the, to the activants, and that's a longer story. To, due to the what? To the adjuvants in the vaccine. Oh, the adjuvants. Okay. The things that were added to make it do right. its to, thing. To stimulate the immune response. I think that uh, overstimulates the immune response is where people run into trouble. Well, let's get back to the household toxins. I mean, it can be in our mattress, furniture, clothes, cleaning supplies. I mean, can you tell us more about this? This is rugs, building materials, paint. Tell us more about this uh, so uh, we can learn more. Well, great. So let's start with something as simple as, um, actually, let me, let me back up a little bit. Let's start with the air, Okay. So we think, you know, we're living in our house, and that's nice and safe. You know, our house is where we go to get away from everything. Well, the problem is if you live in a city, your house is being exposed to a large number of chemicals 
The two of which are most serious are benzene, which happens every time a person pumps gasoline, they release benzene into the environment. But the biggest one is what's called the particulate matter. So if you see a diesel truck going down the road and with that blue exhaust coming out, you might say, well, wait a minute, but that doesn't look good. Well, it, does, it isn't good. Um, it turns out that the diesel is high in something called particulate matter, and particulate matter is such a fine size that it penetrates deeply into our lungs. And what's bound to the particulate matter are what are called the volatile organic chemicals. And these are chemicals that are really, really toxic. You might say, okay, well, fine, this, is that important? Well, it turns out that people who live within 50 feet of a highway that has diesel trucks on it have a 15% increased risk of a heart attack. And you might say, well, I don't live within 15, 50 feet of a major highway. Well, do you live within 100 yards? You know, 100 yards, a football field's length from a major highway. People living a football length away have a, uh, so people who are closest have a 50% increased risk of heart attack. People who are a football field away have a 15% increased risk of a heart attack just from the particulate matter in the diesel exhaust. So first thing I have to start with people saying is when people come to your house, have them take off their shoes so you don't bring this particulate matter into the house and get an air filter in your house to clear out all this particulate matter. Then you want to look at the water supply. You want to get a filter on the water supply so the water doesn't have toxins in it. Then when you're using household cleaning aids, realize that a lot of these things have toxic chemicals in them, particularly the uh, antimicrobial agents we use in our toilets or washing down surfaces with. All these things are toxic. Some of them are neurotoxins. Then you look at health and beauty aids. You mentioned lead and lipstick. Well, health and beauty aids also have something called um, phthalates. And these phthalates are chemicals that solubilize and stabilize the fragrances in the healthy beauty aids. And uh, we're coming things- to a break now, okay. so we'll have to continue this afterwards. But also, okay. studies have shown that uh, in, autism is correlated with increased particulate matter as well and how close you live to the freeway. So we're yeah. coming to a break, and we'll be back right after the break to continue with more. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. We'd love to hear from you about today's show. Send your email to Dr. Susan at OccupyHealth.com. That's Dr. Susan at OccupyHealth.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan with Dr. Pizzorno. And we're talking about all these things in our environment that we love so much, but they're causing disease in us. All these things and, that we put on us and we use in our house and we use to make our house smell or to take the smell away. These have serious repercussions and can certainly lead us down a pathway toward disease. So we're talking about household toxins. I mean, it can be in mattresses, furniture, rugs paints is all these flame retardants and the babies can be crawling all over it the animals can be crawling all over it and they're absorbing this fake grass in the backyard the animals and the children are absorbing it which will have adverse effects but so anything else in the household i mean then we you start talking about the cleaning products right but so talking about cleaning products and also the uh, health and beauty aids so uh, let's talk about the health and beauty aids for a moment because I think they're a surprisingly big contributor to disease, particularly diabetes. So when I was in naturopathic medical school half a century ago, diabetes was rare. It was less than 1% of the population. I remember being so excited my first year in practice when after six months I finally saw a diabetic patient. Well, now it's 10 to 20 times more common than it was 50 years ago. Well, what happened? Obviously, we didn't change genetically. And you could say our diets are worse in that they have more sugar, and they do have somewhat more sugar, but you don't get a correlation between the sugar consumption and the instance of diabetes. What you do get a correlation with is the levels of chemical toxins in the body and diabetes. And in particular, when you look at chemical toxins that bind to insulin receptor sites on the cells so the cells can't respond to insulin the way they should. So when a person is using health and beauty aids that have phthalates in them, those phthalates bind to the cells. And so in order to get sugar into the cells, the pancreas has to overproduce insulin. So that's a nice example of how wonderful our bodies are at adapting to the challenges we face. But the problem is is that if you make the pancreas overproduce sugar for 20, 30, even 40 years, well, it burns out. It can't keep doing it at that high level forever. It burns out, and now you've got diabetes. So it turns out that if you look at the level of these toxins that bind to insulin receptor sites and you look at the correlation with diabetes, what you find is that there's a direct correlation with the more of these chemical toxins in the body, the more diabetes people have, and the more obesity. And researchers are now calling these toxins diabetogens and obesogens. Now, when we talk about obesity, you know, everybody knows that if a person has 
has a lot of extra fat if they're obese, they have a dramatically increased risk for diabetes. Matter of fact, you consider one of the major risk factors for diabetes is, are you obese or not? But what most people don't realize is that people who are in the bottom 10% of chemical body load who are, who are, who are obese have no increased risk for diabetes. So let me say that again. If you're fat but don't have chemical toxins, you don't get more diabetes. So it's not the fat that's the problem. It's how the people are getting fat. If you're getting fat because of all these chemical toxins that are making you get fat more quickly, that is what's giving you the diabetes. So this is something which I think we can do something about. But we've got to, we've got to realize that we're, it's a totally different game we're playing now. The environment is so polluted that we are causing disease from the environment. Yes, I believe studies show that the phthalates, PCBs, PBAs, possibly arsenic, do have a correlation with diabetes. We don't know if they're causal, but I suspect you add these to EMF, glyphosate, and GMO, uh, put them all together, and that would probably come up with a causal result. But like BPAs, they're found in plastics, packages, uh, uh, cash register receipts, and I think even that the industry is saying there's no BPA in this. Well, there's BPB through BPU, and they're just kind of misleading us on that. So is that correct? Yes, and, and actually I'm glad you said that because something I want to bring up is that all the research I've been talking about is all human research. We're not talking about theoretical we're not talking about cell cultures. We're not talking about animal studies. We're actually talking about human studies that are being done now, showing all this damage that's being caused. Now, bisphenol A is a great example. So bisphenol A clearly is associated with, and I believe causal in many diseases. So now we're saying, okay, we'll be, have bisphenol A packaging. Well, what they're doing is, is they're replacing it with bisphenol S and bisphenol F. And when you look at cell cultures, they're actually even more toxic than bisphenol A. So I want to be real clear. I'm not anti-civilization, okay? <laughs> I, I, I'm an avid motorcycle tour. And I, you know, I love the, the wonders of modern civilization. But we need to do it in a way that doesn't poison us. We need to be more careful about it. And I think that if we pay more attention, we would not be seeing all these adverse events. So when looking at things like bisphenol A, um, right now we only buy products that are stored in glass. If they're stored in plastic, we don't buy them. If they're stored in cans... Cans are lined with plastic, which has bisphenol A in it. We don't buy those products. And at home, we've thrown away every plastic container in our home, and all we have is glass. So what we do is every possible opportunity we have, we avoid these toxins. So going back to bisphenol A, if you look at homemade lentil soup compared to store-bought lentil soup in a can, people who consume store-bought lentil soup in a can have 12 times higher levels of bisphenol A in them than people who eat homemade lentil soup. So the more we buy packaged materials that are exposed to chemicals, the more we put those chemicals into our body, the more we do things like blocking some receptor sites and cause oxidative damage to our brains, um, and the list is very, very long. And there's a reason that this might be causal, folks, because the BPA, it blocks receptor sites on the cell that insulin activates to allow the sugar in, so it makes our insulin ineffective, which is a straight path to diabetes. There's actually research showing how it can be causal. Now, phthalates is another uh, issue that can lead to diabetes, and this is in fragrances and all that stink people put on because they think they're so sexy <laughs> when they stink. Um, tell me about that. Why? Why is it sexy to stink? Oh, tell me what it does. <laughs> so, 
I think you and I are kindred spirits here. <laughs> because well, I, don't I uh, all these perfumes and such. <laughs> so, um, so here, here's the irony. So let's look at somebody like me, and I suspect like you, uh, who is careful about this. We don't use health beauty aids that are contained with phthalates and etc. And you look at the phthalate levels levels in our body; they're very, very low. But then you compare it to somebody. So, the, for the, for example, the average male will use 16 health and beauty aids every day, and the average woman will use 11. Okay, so the man using the six health and beauty aids every day will typically have about 300 times, not 300%, I'm saying 300 times higher levels of phthalates in the body. And what do these phthalates do? Well, why are the guys uh, and the gals and the women putting on these, uh, these perfumes and such? Well, they want to you know, smell nice, they want to be sexier, etc. Well, <laughs> these things bind to testosterone receptor sites and estrogen receptor sites and cause disruption. So guys who use all these chemicals on their body to smell nice, they're actually having, are being less masculine because they're actually blocking the activity of testosterone in their bodies. Well, then they have to put more on to be sexy, don't they? Right. <laughs> now they say, okay, well, now I need to get pheromones. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, if you're just healthy, there's nothing, there's nothing sexier than being healthy. Well, interesting thing is I think in Europe uh, the phthalates are banned, and we can find it in plastic containers like milk, butter, uh, meat, which readily absorb these, and that women with the most phthalates tend to have kids with lower IQ by six or seven points. Isn't that interesting? Oh, uh, well, that was one of the scariest things I found as I looked at the research. Uh, I started looking at, there's more and more research coming up, which is looking at the IQ of children and their behavioral problems like ADHD, and what they find was that, for example, uh, there have been three studies looking at organophosphate pesticides in women and then looking at the effect on the IQ of the children. And when they compared the children born to women with the highest levels of organophosphate pesticides compared to women with the lowest levels, what they find is the kids who have the highest levels have a seven-point drop in IQ. There are three studies that have now looked at this, and, of course, they iron out the socioeconomic differences. What they find was that these kids, three studies showing these kids have a seven-point drop in IQ. One study followed these kids for seven years, and they never got their IQ back. And not only do they have lower IQ, they also have a doubling of ADHD. And why is well, that happening? And for that, isn't there? Because phthalates decrease the BDNF, which is essential in making our neurons evolve and interconnect. So there's a direct causal route that the phthalates can dumb us down. Yes, so it's phthalates and things like organophosphate pesticides. So going back to phthalates and seeing the correlation between phthalates and dementia, and the reason for that is that most people don't realize that actually our brains do regenerate. We regenerate about 1% of our brain every year. Well, BDNF, the brain-derived neurotrophic factor, plays a big role in that and stimulate the brain to regenerate. Well, if you're exposed to things like phthalates and organophosphate pesticides, they block the body's production of BDNF so the brain can't regenerate. And now you have, more, you have quicker brain degeneration. Well, let's talk about another area which is dear to my heart and how our food is toxic. I mean, this is going to be the subject of my film coming out, uh, The Big Secret. But tell us how our food is toxic and how our food is making us sick. There's two big problems with the food. Number one is the way food's being grown now on depleted soil has resulted in a much lower nutrient content of the food. So if you look at, for example, trace minerals like copper and zinc and selenium and things like this, and you look at their level the last 100 years, they are down 50 to 85%. So even if a person is trying to eat real food, 
if it's conventionally grown, it has dramatically lower t- levels, levels of nutrients in it. And when a food is low in nutrients, making the body low in nutrients, the body becomes more susceptible to uh, toxins. A classic example of that is cadmium. And you mentioned that a bit earlier. So it turns out that when you grow foods like soybeans, for example, with high phosphate fertilizers, that works great to make, the, make it grow faster and make it grow bigger. But many of the high phosphate fertilizers are contaminated with cadmium. So when you grow beans, like soybeans, on a soil that has been depleted in zinc and is contaminated with cadmium, the soy absorbs the cadmium. So there was a study here, published here in Seattle. Uh, it, was done here, it was done here in Seattle uh, a few years ago. And they were looking at women and looking at women with osteoporosis, and they're finding a surprising amount of osteoporosis, and they tracked it down to these women having high levels of cadmium. And what was happening was that the cadmium, when it gets high, it goes right into the kidneys. It damages the kidneys, so the kidneys can't convert vitamin D into the active form necessary to absorb calcium and put calcium into the bone. And then, it's, and then they tracked it down to where the cadmium was coming from, and what they were finding was that all these perimenopausal women were eating a lot of soy to help mitigate their perimenopausal symptoms, and they're giving themselves cadmium toxicity. And these researchers determined that 20% or one out of five cases of osteoporosis in women in the U.S. was due to cadmium primarily from wow. eating conventionally grown soybeans. Wow. Well, soy also is about 95% genetically modified in this country as well as corn. So that has, uh, I've talked to several researchers that have done research that the genetically modified material itself contributes to disease. And then the glyphosate they add on for fertilizer is, has causes its own problems. So Soy sounds like it's not particularly healthy in the U.S. Not right now. It's unfortunate because you know soy has has numerous benefits, but in this particular situation, it's it's a problem. And cadmium is toxic to the kidneys. Well, tell us very, about very the toxic. dirty dozen, the fruits and vegetables that are most likely to be plagued with pesticides. So that's where the uh, Environmental Working Group um, gets a, should get a lot of applause. So they put together a list of which foods are most contaminated and which foods are least contaminated. And unfortunately, your fruits like apples and strawberries and uh, greens like spinach are the, the most contaminated. And other uh, uh, vegetables or fruits on that list are grapes, peaches, sweet bell peppers, imported nectarines, cucumbers, tomatoes, imported snap peas, potatoes, hot peppers, Kale, which is our health kale, isn't that, food, isn't that and collard greens? Are you kidding me? Yeah, isn't that discouraging that kale, which is such an incredibly nutrient-dense food, is so contaminated with organophosphate pesticides that's not a safe food anymore? Oh, my gosh. Well, on the other hand, there, tell us about the clean fruits and vegetables that are relatively safe. So there are a number. Um, they tend to be like the uh, cabbage family, uh, avocados, um, uh, foods in this nature. What I recommend is to go to the ewg.org for the environmentalworkinggroup.org, and they have the list. They have the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15, and I'll show you which are the safest foods to eat um, conventionally. And if you do want to eat a food that is contaminated, you must eat it organically or not eat it. And other foods on the clean list are onions, asparagus, mangoes, papayas, kiwi, eggplant, grapefruits, cantaloupes, and sweet potatoes. Now, what bothers me is what they're adding to our food, all these processed foods. I mean, it's outright frightening. Potassium bromate in our bread to increase the volume, that's a carcinogen. Not only that, but it competes with iodine. 
So if you look at the iodine consumption in the U.S., uh, as you know, the iodization of salt uh, played a huge role in getting rid of goiter. That's good. Well, the problem is that we are now using less iodized salt and the other sources where we used to get iodine from, for example, from bread or from dairy products, used to be a significant source of iodine. Well, now for bread, they're using brominated products. And for, and for the iodine in dairy products, we used to get the iodine in dairy products because they washed the udders of the cows with, uh, with iodine as an antimicrobial agent. Well, now they use other things like antibiotics and such. So we've dramatically decreased the amount of iodine consumption, and we've increased our bromine consumption, and bromine competes with iodine. So now you have more and more people having low thyroid function because they can't get the iodine. They don't get enough iodine, and iodine is being competed for. Well, isn't it the same with fluoridating the water? Because fluoride, if you look it up, is a as a toxin or biohazard toxin, and mm-hmm. you have to distribute it with great, get rid of it in great care. And it's probably fine when you put it on a tooth, but when we're drinking it, isn't it going to do the same to our thyroid? Yeah, actually, and I looked at the research on that, and indeed, the big problem with fluoride is not so much that. Um, lower levels aren't a good idea because lower levels do decrease fluoride, do decrease cavities. But the problem is that by putting it to the water supply, we lose control over the dosages people get. And there's many, many examples of communities where people are getting three to ten times the level of fluoride that's considered safe. And you see obvious examples like where they get a little, there's kind of these white dots on their, on their teeth, which is unfortunate. But I, that the fluoride is also a neurotoxin. And so it causes all kinds of bad effects for us. So, for example, going back to children, uh, research looking at children consuming the most fluoride versus children consuming the least fluoride, they also have a seven-point drop in IQ. Now, it's only 10% of the kids, but isn't 10% way too much? So you start looking at these things, all these various factors, and, you know, I I don't know how old you are, and I'm not going to ask you on air, but, you know, I've been around for a while, and (laughs) it looks to me like, the world's kind of going crazy because we're poisoning ourselves. We're poisoning neurological systems. People are not making as smart of decisions anymore, and the world is becoming a less, a less, a less positive place for everybody. They're dumbing us down, aren't they? Dumbing us down, yeah. What's, now, what happens, what's happening? It's really clear. And just some other examples. Butane is added to chicken nuggets, BHA, BHT, to extend the shelf life. I think if you leave out a Twinkie Doodle or a Dinky Doo or something for a year, they'll still be fine in a year. Mm-hmm. Sodium benzate to carbonated waters, uh, tarzanine dye to cheese to make it yellow. Well, that can increase asthma. Sulfites uh, for fruits and dried fruits, uh, that is a correlation with asthma. Now, MSG, that's a neurotoxin, isn't it? It is, yes. Are spartanes a neurotoxin? It is as well. Associated with cancer. And the old form of Splenda, although I think they're trying to upgrade it to Stevia, it's got the chloropropanols in it, which is a form of dioxin, which was a form of Agent Orange. And we all know what that did in Vietnam. I mean, what are they doing? How are they getting away with this? Yeah, and you look at the organophosphate pesticides. And by the way, 50% of the pesticides used worldwide are organophosphate pesticides. People don't realize... They were developed by the Germans in World War I for chemical warfare. Why are we spraying chemical warfare agents on our food supply? I mean, just, it doesn't make any sense. And then we get into what they're feeding our meat and what's in our gluten and farm fish. 
that has PCBs in it and persistent organic pollutants. And, and they found Tylenol, Paxil, Valium, Zoloft. If you need a pill, right. eat some farm fish. You'll get a whole pharmacy right on your dinner plate. Yes. When people ask me what is the worst food, at this point, I believe that farm fish is the worst food because they are very, very high in what are called the persistent organic pollutants. These are things like DDT, PCBs, etc., that are so difficult to break down that they end up in the environment for decades at a time. And we look at humans, look at PCBs, the polychlorinated biphenyls. The PCBs were banned in 1977, and that's the good news. The bad news is that the half-life in the body, that was the amount of time it takes to get rid of half of it, it goes from 3 to 25 years. So once it's in your body, it's almost impossible to get rid of. So I keep telling people, uh, when we talk about toxicity and detoxification, they say, well, how do I detoxify my body? And what I say to people, first off, is don't let the toxins in, because once they're in your body, they're almost impossible to get rid of. Let's talk about how we do detox. Uh, obviously, we need to avoid these things, and we need to be careful. It sounds like buying organic and buying uh, grass-fed meats and wild fish rather than grain-fed meats and Great. farm fish. But what else do we do? Yeah, so you're, you're going in the right direction. So the first thing I say to people is, you know, don't, don't talk to me about detoxification unless you're going to make a commitment to not let any more toxins in. Because there's no point in doing it if you keep on putting it back in. So let's just assume the person is avoiding them. So the next thing we want to do is to help get rid of them. And there's basically two strategies. Uh, strategy number one is to help facilitate the body's own natural detoxification systems. So as we evolved as a species, we were exposed to things like arsenic and such, so we have ways of getting rid of them. But we have to help the body rather than hinder it. And it turns out the simplest way to help the body get rid of toxins is to increase our dietary fiber. Because what's happening is the liver um, gets rid of a lot of the toxins by dumping them into the gut. But if there's not enough fiber in the gut, we then reabsorb many of those toxins through a process called intrahepatic recirculation. So as we were developing these detox systems as our bodies evolved over the, over the you know, millions of years, we, we were eating about 100 to 150 grams of fiber a day. Now the average person consumes 15 to 20 grams of fiber a day. So almost 90% lower amounts of fiber than what the body's expecting. So our normal detox systems don't work properly. So fiber is incredibly important. The second one is uh, glutathione. I mentioned glutathione earlier in our conversation. Glutathione plays an incredibly important role in protecting us from environmental toxins. And the best way to increase the glutathione levels is to take a dietary supplement called NAC or N-acetylcysteine for short. And the NAC will increase um, um, our body's ability to produce glutathione. So I recommend to people that they take at least 10 more grams of fiber a day, and if possible, I'd prefer it to be more like 25 grams of fiber more a day. And with NAC, I recommend around 500 milligrams a day. The other strategy <clears throat> is when you know what exact toxin a person is having problems with, then there are protocols that are for each specific toxin. And it just, it just depends upon the toxin. So, for example, if a person's high in mercury or lead, I give them a, a gentle drug called DMSA. And what I do is I have a compounding pharmacist make it up for them and have them take it. Now, I use a relatively low dose, 250 milligrams every third day. Uh, so it takes time to get the metals out of the body. But at that low dose, you don't get side effects. And I, I'm always, you know, I'm an naturopathic doctor. I'm, I believe very, very strongly that you don't do anything to harm a patient. So I don't put things in the patient that I think are going to harm them. 
And by using this drug at a very low dosage, we don't get the side effects, but we do get the benefits. So that's an example of how to get, get, rid, of, get rid of metals. The, uh, when looking at chemical toxins, in general, uh, except for the, what are called persistent organic pollutants, the strategy I just described to you works quite, quite well. Now, if a person has a particularly high level of chemical toxins in their body, uh, that's where what are called the biosequesterants are useful. So the biosequesterants are things like cholestamide and cholestyramine. Uh, these are drugs that were developed by, uh, pharmace- by the um, pharmaceutical industry to decrease cholesterol levels. So the good news is that, yes, they do decrease cholesterol levels, and while they're doing that, they also bind to chemical toxins. The bad news is that when you use them at high enough dosages to significantly decrease a person's cholesterol levels, well, you start getting this smelly, oily, un- very unpleasant diarrhea. So again, for these patients, I use lower dosages. Rather than the 15 grams a day that are typically prescribed, I get closer to 5 grams a day. And when using lower dosages, you still get the chemical toxins out, and it's slow, but you get them out, and you don't get the side effects. We've got like two minutes left, so uh, first of all, I want to make sure that uh, the listener is aware of Dr. Persono's book, The Toxic Solution. He will go into great detail about these toxins and great detail on a plan to get rid of them, and that will, of course, include strengthening the gut, and he has very clearly laid out stages. So in the last two minutes, would you like to summarize at any particular points and let people know how to get a hold of you? Sure. So, um, you know, anybody's welcome to go on my website, uh, D-R-P-I-Z-Z-O-R-N-O.com. And, um, and what I want to say to people is we now have accepted as normal and inevitable that as you get older, you get more disease. And I want to say that is not normal. I say it is normal, but it's not inevitable. What's happening is that as people get older, because these toxins are so hard to get rid of, they now start accumulating higher and higher levels of these toxins in the body. Look at somebody who's 60 years old versus somebody who's 5 years old. That 60-year-old has 10 times higher levels of DDT in their body because they can't get rid of the stuff. Okay. So now you add more toxins, which are causing more and more disruption to our metabolism, but also many of these things damage our DNA. And when you damage the DNA, you not only accelerate the aging process, but you also make yourself now less able to protect yourself from the toxins. So rather than accepting disease being normal as people get older, what we need to realize is that if you live a healthy life and avoid these toxins, you have dramatically less disease. And that's what we're Well, we're doing. at an end now, so uh, it's very important, this message, that what's the norm of getting old and ill is not normal. We want optimal uh, health, not health that's normal according to the norms of our society. So go get his book, The Toxic Solution. Do your own research so you can help yourself and help others, and above all, be well. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.